1: Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have as long as they're financial. 888 99 Charter is our number 888 992 4278. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Kevin calling from La Crescenta.
2: Um, happy holidays to both of you. i um, calling because I have a question about fully paid lending. I have my retirement account with Fidelity and uh, I received an email asking if I was interested or enrolling in their fully paid lending program, trying to see what the cons are of doing this. I understand it can also be done in a non-retirement account, but then uh, your dividends are no longer qualified dividends and turn into ordinary income, so I don't want to do that. But uh, I was looking into doing it with my retirement account and uh, seeing what you guys thought about uh, enrolling in this program just to get a little extra yield on, on my holdings. If you could just share your thoughts on it, I'm not worried about fidelity going out of business or going bankrupt. So are there any other cons
3: with participating? I look forward to hearing your answer on the show. Thank you as always. All right. Fully paid lending. Um, I, I don't have a ton of experience to be honest with you. Um, but I know it it's a way to earn some extra yield on securities that you probably are gonna hold anyway. Um so you know, and there's uh I, I know if you wanna sell the vendor position, you have to kind of unwound unwind, excuse me, the uh, the lending program. Um, you know, so you basically have to take it off this this program um every institution's a, a a bit different um in their their terms and how it works so you definitely want to understand uh you know how each broker uh, deals with it you do waive uh your voting rights which most people don't uh really care about um so it is something that i think if, you, if you're gonna hold the position you know you're gonna hold it for a long period of time Uh, I I don't see any much downside uh, to it, uh, except for, like you said, there are some tax implications that you have to be aware of. Thanks for the call.
4: Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Bryce calling from South Carolina. I was just looking at a portion of my portfolio targeting dividends and cash flow. Uh, I was wondering if you could look at Global Net Lease, GNL. I noticed that it has Series A and Series B preferred shares. So I was wondering if you could clarify the difference between what exactly preferred shares are and uh, what the expected uh, difference in return or price might be on those. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing from you on the show.
3: Our now preferred share is kind of a hybrid asset or it's not really equity, but it's not really a bond either. Uh, basically it is a, a, I would say it's closer to a bond because you don't get the upside of the positive trends of a business. It's issued at par. Typically, the you know bond is issued at hundred dollars at par, which it preferred is usually twenty five dollars per par, uh, and it paying some sort of a a dividend to you, kind of like an interest rate, and it's typically fixed. And there's often no maturity date, meaning there's not like a bond where it gets paid back to you. Typically. Uh, let me get let me go back. It's part of the capital structure. So let's say they'll go bankrupt. You're not a bondholder. So you're not paid first. Now you're ha- paid ahead of the equity holder, so they're paid last because you're preferred equity. But usually the bondholders they get most of the assets, if not all. So you don't get the upside like equity holders, and you don't get the protection on the downside like bondholders. I don't really like them. I don't like preferred shares. They're not, you know, if you can yell a little bit, that's fine. But in general, they're just not great investment vehicles. So I would pass on that. Thanks for the call.
5: Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART.
6: Hey guys, I just left my company that I was with for about
7: four years. I had a Roth 401k with them that I received a match on. Now that I left, I'm just wondering, what do you recommend I do with those funds? Would you leave them that company's program? Or
6: would you do a rollover? Just curious. Get you guys thoughts. Thanks.
3: Alright, this one's very easy. Roll it into a Roth IRA. You already pay taxes on it in the Roth 401k. And you're going to, if you're going to leave it there, you're going to be locked into those funds. Some of them good, some of them average, probably some of them poor. Uh, You're probably picking from 15 to 20 different funds. And when you roll it into a Roth IRA, you can go invest in individual stocks, ETFs, other mutual funds, individual bonds. You can do a lot with it run a cover call strategy you can do a lot with a a, a Roth IRA so that's the simple and easy way to get the money out of there and invest in whatever you like all right thanks for the call
1: you can call right now be part of the program let's hear about what your talking point is 888-99-CHART 888-992-4278 you can get through right now
8: In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads nearing 50 million, each Invest Talk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download. And hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real time data research and years of investing experience. 24 7, rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888 99 Chart. You're
5: listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though 888-99 chart 888-99 chart and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
9: Hello Steve and Justin, this is John from Salt Lake City, Utah. On Friday on your best of calls, you guys mentioned high grade corporate bonds. I was wondering where I could find some whether often that 7.9% or something similar, I've been going on trying to find the actual bonds, but I was finding more funds than I were than I was bonds. you could give us a few suggestions on where to get or which ones are good high-grade corporate bonds, I'd appreciate it, look forward to hearing your answer. Thanks.
3: Now, I can't tell you what corporate bonds to buy. That's something uh, I can only do for clients, can't do that on air. but What I can say is your broker should have a bond desk. We have TD Ameritrade. uh, They have a bond desk. Schwab has a bond desk. Fidelity has a bond desk. All the big brokers have a bond desk that you can go and buy bonds directly through. That's one way. They will charge a spread. They're going to make some money. They're going to basically take a cut uh, and uh, they're going to earn a little bit on that. Um, unfortunately for the retail investor, it can be relatively hefty. Uh, it just depends on the bond, depends on the, uh, the broker that you're using. Now we use a company called market access. They're actually a public company. Uh, and we aggregate our bond purchases with other institutions because we are an institution and we get much better pricing than you're going to get from your bond desk uh, at your broker. But you can do that. You just have to call them up. And they should have a tool. I know TD Ameritrade has a tool where you can search based on credit quality, based on duration, based on yield to maturity, yield to worst, et cetera. You can uh, even filter by sector, what sectors you want to have exposure to. Um, but you're going to have to do a little work, right? Uh, these are corporations. You need to be confident they're going to be able to stay solvent, stay in business between now and the time the bond matures. Uh, and so otherwise, you're going to deal with defaults. And, and that's that's never fun. So, it does take a little work. Uh, typically, you can get much better yields. We are still seeing north of 7, although those yields have come uh, down a bit. Uh, but there's, there's still some good opportunities in that space, but you got to do a little work. If you don't want to do a little work, then bond funds are, are okay.
9: Hi, guys. This is Kent in Texas. Hey, guys, on TD Ameritrade's website, they have a a tab for bonds and CDs. And under that tab, they have new issues so you can buy bonds at at par. Nearly all their offerings are the big major banks like Citigroup, Chase, Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley. Do y'all have a problem, or how do you look at holding mainly those bonds in your bond portfolio. All right, my friends, thanks a lot, bye-bye.
3: Well, we have no real issue with those companies in general. Uh, most of them have huge cash buffers because of post- post-financial post uh, crisis regulation, a lot of excess reserves in their balance sheet. So it's unlikely you're gonna have some sort of 08 credit crisis because of you know terrible lending uh, of the big, the big banks, I think most of the egregious lending has happened in the private equity, uh, space and could there be some spillover in, in some of those big banks? Sure. Uh, but we don't see them at risk of being insolvent, but that's kind of reflected in their yields. Their yields, to, to maturity is not that great compared to, uh, a lot of the, the offerings that you can get in industrial space, energy space, commodity space, et cetera. Um, just, just better opportunities in other, other areas of the economy. Uh, but I have no issues with them you know if I'm gonna pick one of the big banks it's definitely gonna be JP Morgan they have the uh, the largest deposit base they are probably the best run they uh, they don't make uh bad uh, lending errors or nearly as bad as uh, some of the other ones like city city would probably be the lowest on the list of one of those big banks that I'd want to uh, want to own uh, a bond on um, so uh, but overall it's just Everything's about risk versus reward. You really have to look at everything as risk versus reward. That's what investing is. And so it's not just about the yield you're getting, but what type of risks are you taking? Solvency risk, duration risk, et cetera. So they're fine. Having a couple of them as a part of a diversified portfolio, sure. But not something I would go heavily in on because I don't love the risk versus reward.
1: Okay, let's go to uh, Paris in Little Rock, Arkansas. Hi, Paris. Oh, Dave, I've got a kind of an investment
6: thesis I was wanting to run past you. Sure. If we are still in a commodity bull market for, like, metals, yes. to me, you've got, you've got companies like Vale, Freeport mcmoran and all of those companies that their headwinds are geopolitical, uh, environmental issues, uh, third world party issues, and trying to explore the cost for exploration. Right. Does it not make sense then to look at maybe the recyclers
1: where people bring you the product? That makes uh, yeah. That doesn't make uh, that, that makes sense. Uh, remember the the costs. You, it's always a factor of cost, right? If the recycled materials is cheaper than actual mine the original materials, heck yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So you always want to look at the cost of those recyclers of the raw material coming into them, because they had to pay for it, you know. But um, uh, you, you, you do. We are in a bull commodity bull market. Even if you look at the commodities that you just mentioned or the stocks you just mentioned, did they have a great year? No but they had a lot better year than tech you know and they're still pretty, a lot of them are still pretty, very cheap when it comes to price earnings ratios and those kinds of things and that's even staring at a recession that's coming at us you know, so yeah, I, I don't have any problem with that I think that thesis of looking for recy- at recyclers is a sound thesis because of the, the political winds of you know, clean energy and Recycling. I think that's going to stay with us for years and years and years. So I think it's a good thesis for the long haul. Paris Thanks for the call. Good one. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you 888 99 chart, beginning our experience. We're here to answer your questions.
5: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
6: Hi, Steve and Justin. I have a question about buying stocks. I was wondering if I bought a stock, but then I do you have to wait until after the settlement date to sell the stock? So that was my question, and I will be listening for the answer on your show. Thank you.
3: Oh, that's why there's day traders. You can buy a stock one minute and sell the next. Most brokers allow you to do that. So should be no reason to wait for the settlement date. Thanks for the call.
1: We're going to go to Paul now. Hi, Paul. Yes, um, I have a question about Social Security and taxes. Is yes. Social Security taxed if when I start collecting it? Because uh, be, I will be coming to you soon. That's why yeah. I'm asking you. Yeah, it is. It's income. They <laughs> not that great? The government says Social Security benefits are income. So it's it's income to you. You have to add it to the other income you might have for that year, and you pay taxes on it, pay income tax on it. Okay? So if you're in a lower enough bracket, of course, you don't have to pay income tax on it. But it's just like any other income. Yeah, you've got to pay taxes on Social Security. At what level of my income would I have to start paying it? What uh, that, it well, see, I'm not sure. I'm not an accountant. I just know it is taxed, um, and I don't think there's any Social Security tax on your Social Security benefits, but there, it, it is taxed. Uh, I, and I don't know. I don't know at what level. I'm not an accountant. Paul, thanks for the call. Appreciate it.
9: This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. Where they describe their services as independent thinking, shared success. And this philosophy is why KPP Financial can be of great value to investors. KPP Principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are committed to unbiased guidance. They don't upsell clients into expensive and questionable investments. Instead, Steve and Justin provide honest opinions and proven strategies based on the individual's current portfolio and risk tolerance. Working with KPP Financial, you can be assured of consistent dedication toward the goal of helping you achieve financial freedom. You can get things started with a phone call or a simple message through investtalk.com. The InvestTalk Radio and Podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with your questions. 888-99-CHART.
6: Yeah. Hi, Justin and Steve. This is James from New Jersey. longtime listener. Thanks for everything you guys do. I'm interested in moving my 403B over to a Roth IRA. I know that you guys have talked about this before, but can you just explain that process once again? And then if my wife and I file jointly, would I be then able to open up two Roth IRAs, one for me and one for her if we still fall under that annual income. Again, thank you so much, and I look forward
7: to hearing your response on the next podcast.
3: Well, I'll start off with a 403B, and that's pretty simple, 403B, 401K, workplace retirement account, et cetera. You can roll that into a Roth IRA if you hadn't paid tax on it, if it wasn't a Roth 401K or a Roth 403B before all of that would be taxable to you in that given year. So you wanna be cognizant of the tax consequences there. The simplest thing would be roll it into an IRA. We do this all the time for new clients to come aboard, open up an IRA, give them instructions on how to basically have their 401k, 403b provider, send a check to, in our instance, TD Ameritrade, or whatever broker that you're gonna open up the IRA or Roth IRA with, make a check payable to them for benefit of your name, And then it deposits into that IRA. Uh, I always say it's best to just start off with an IRA. You can always convert it to a Roth IRA, part of it or all of it in the future. Uh, So that's probably the best way to go. So you can manage the tax implications of getting into an Roth IRA. But your thought process of eventually getting into a Roth IRA uh, at a low tax rate is a smart way of thinking. Something you should be um, planning for. Now, when it comes to your wife filing jointly, filing... It doesn't matter how, how you guys are filing. You Anybody can open up a Roth IRA or an IRA, either one or both. It's not about opening. It's about the contributions. And there are limits, uh, deductibility limits on traditional IRA contributions. There are income limits for Roth IRA contributions. These are all things you should talk to your accountant about because they're going to have intimate knowledge of uh, your income and the tax code, etc. So opening them, fine. Contributions—that's a consult consultation with your tax advisor.
1: Yeah. Let's go to Thane in Antioch. Hi, Thane. How you doing?
9: Good. I had a uh, general question for you. Sure. My mom has entrusted me with fifty thousand dollars. her net worth is probably about two hundred. Okay. But she wants me to do some conservative, you know, so I was thinking some dividend-paying stocks, and, you know, she wouldn't mind if that 50 dropped to uh, 45 or something, but if it dropped much more, she'd probably start getting a little bit nervous on me. Okay. Uh, Conservative. You
1: really shouldn't use the word conservative and individual stocks in the same sentence. Okay. Now, there are less risky stocks than risky stocks. I I won't (laughs) give you that. But the word conservative probably is a wrong term. Let's talk about what would be good for your mom. I would suggest large dividend pay in stocks, like you have just suggested. Stocks that we know do not go down too much, don't go too up to much. They're kind of staying the same. If you do me a favor, make sure you get about 10 or 15 different stocks. Okay. Of this nature. Or is that
9: against the rules?
1: Yeah, you know that 3% rule. Thane, if you give me a call in the office tomorrow, I'll be happy to give you some names. Mm-hmm. I don't mind helping people where I can help them. But I can't give names out over the air and just yeah. do these. It just If you ask me a question about a stock, I'll be happy to answer it. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART,
3: 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now. .com hacker
5: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though 888-99 chart 888-99 chart and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
1: We're going to go to Gene in North Carolina and want' to talk about buying bonds. Hi, Gene. Hey, Steve. Thank you for taking my call. Thank
6: you. Uh, it's really a follow-up, que- uh, follow-up question to something Justin spoke about, I think, last week. He spoke mm-hmm. about how your firm buys individual bonds for your yes. client by... Aggregating maybe the buys and sells as institutional investors through market access, something like that. I mean, yeah, make it, make
1: that me is so correct. Wrong. Yeah, we don't buy you know one bond at a time for each client. We'll buy you know five million dollars worth of bond and and you know as we then split it up between all our clients. And, yeah, and by. By doing so, you're you're
6: able to get much better pricing on buys and sells than individuals, or even better opportunity on, on what you can buy and sell. Is that correct?
1: That is correct because uh, they, you know, when you're buying five million, you get brokers calling you up trying to sell you that much at a time. That, you know, instead of you buying, well, I'm gonna buy twenty thousand. Well, many times you don't you get what's left over. You the individual, you know. Oh, I have I have them some. And some, they're not all bad, I'm not saying that, but you don't get the choices, you just don't. They're not big enough. And because the more volume of the principal you have to invest
6: in bonds, buy or sell, is that the reason why that I saw on your um, your model pot- portfolios, the, the the most conservative portfolio the initial investment amount is a lot more than the others is that because there's more likely you want to have the opportunity to, to invest in individual bonds in the most conservative portfolio
1: well uh, yes because the the bigger the aggregate the, the the bigger the aggregate we can buy the better more power we have more influence we have of you know getting a better better bond you know and and we're talking not huge percentages but enough to make a difference you know as far as we'll get an extra you know three or four basis points, you know. You multiply that times, you know, 20, 30 different bonds in a portfolio and it kind of adds up. So that's why we do it. Appreciate the call. Good call, Gene. Thank
3: you very much. Go to Edgar. He's in San Diego. He wants to talk about value investing.
1: Yes.
6: Hi, Justin. I've been uh, trying to find a a mutual fund or, excuse me, ETF that is value investing and covers uh small medium large cap companies is there any such a ETF around
3: that covers large mid and small i don't know any off the top of my head i mean there are a lot of you know value focused funds you know what we do for our clients we're kind of in that way right? we go kind of anywhere large mid and and small um so most funds in general ETFs or mutual funds that you're going to buy they're going to be kind of pigeonholed with large, medium, or small. That's just, frankly, what the vast majority of them are, right? Like, if you bring up uh, Vanguard Value, VTV, that's going to be large cap value, right? But there are many small cap value funds. There are mid cap value funds. You know, uh, are there all cap value funds? I'm sure there are, but I don't know any off the top of my head, to be honest with you, or any of that are any good, uh, that's for sure. So I think you're just gonna have to do your own research and and try to find ones that span uh, all parts of uh, the the market. Um, There's a lot of funds out there. So I'm sure there are ones that will do that, Um, but you're gonna have to do a little research. And frankly, like I said, I don't know any of the top of my head.
6: If someone wants to go into a value fund, would, would it be better to stay with medium cap or large
3: or small 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 medium uh if i've said this many times over the past uh, many months the spread uh valuation between the large and small caps is near record highs now it's come off because small caps have started to outperform large caps and that's also part of this shift you know talk about long duration versus short duration value overgrowth um active versus passive Another is small over large. And so the best category, if you're looking at the Morningstar style box, which is you know, basically how you can sum up uh, different style factors, small cap value is clearly the most attractive in the market right now. Does that mean you put all of your money in small cap value Not necessarily, but you, you wanna be overweight in those areas. So
9: that's the way you wanna think about it. Thanks to the call, Edgar. This is InvestTalk, made possible by KPP Financial, where principals and Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are independent financial advisors. For clients, they are fiduciaries. Steve and Justin have a duty and a commitment to always place the interests of their clients ahead of the firm. This is different from the way many other organizations operate. And one way you can realize the benefit of an association with KPP Financial is to know that KPP practices parallel investing. This means that the personal investment accounts of KPP principals participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. It's an important difference. You can learn more anytime at investtalk.com or Reach out to Steve Peasley and Justin Klein by emailing or calling their Irvine, California office. The Invest Talk radio and podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with questions, 888-99-CHART.
10: I started my portfolio in March 2020 and increased my positions aggressively. And uh, of course, I was overweighting in the tech sector. I realized some gains, but not enough, though and uh, reinvested into some of the stocks that started going down in 2021. Then changed my strategy, thanks also to listening to your podcast. And uh, my dividend portfolio, um, which now makes more than 60% of my overall portfolio. I'll try to split that a little bit to see how it develops. Yeah, this is a portfolio, the dividend portfolio is doing fairly well. And over the next years, I would do some tax loss harvesting with the bad performing Ponzi stocks, but this takes a lot of time, of course. All that said, the question is basically, does this strategy make sense or should I be maybe radical and sell everything and start from scratch? On the line, I'd still be making 10 15% gains from my invested money, but technically I would end in a loss. That's basically my question. Thank you in advance and um, bye bye.
1: No, you don't sell out your whole portfolio all at one time, it doesn't make sense to. You know, remember that old saying: time in the market is much, much, much better than timing the market. You can't time the market, so staying in the market. And if you got about a sixty percent portfolio in dividend-paying stocks, that's how you make money: is the dividends, and reinvesting the dividends over time even though the stock moves up and down, even it moves down sharply. Many times you're still in a profit mode because your your, your, your dividends have constantly reinvested for you, and now you're buying with your dividends cheaper-priced stocks as long as you have good, solid dividend payers. Now, I, I think, you know, there's a, I, there's part of my – everybody should do that. Part of my portfolio is higher risk. The majority of my portfolio is lower risk because it's based on my risk, a tolerance in my age the younger you are the more risk you could take but you know you, you remember you're developing a strategy you developed a strategy sounds like it was a very high-risk strategy when high-risk stocks were performing everybody follows the money and that's you get Scott every so often uh, now now your strategy is to follow the dividends or at least move to some of the dividend plays or 60% of your portfolio dividend that's a different strategy. I would stick with that strategy. I think it's a sound long-term strategy. You know, yeah, you can still sell off to your losers, still do tax loss selling. You know, there's not no no issues with that. That's what it's all about this time of the year is managing your tax losses and try to harvest them so that you can apply them against future gains. So no, nothing wrong with what you're doing. There really isn't. Okay.
5: Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888 99Chart.
7: Hi, Stephen Justin, longtime caller here, and I love your show. Thank you guys very much for all you do to help us small investors out. I have a quick question. I know you've been recommending, and it's always a good thing to take your stock losses and stuff for tax reasons at the end of the year to take the stock losses I also know you need to whitewash rule for 31 days before you can buy them back again how big of a loss do you need to have in a stock before you should take it if you only have a stock loss and it's four five six hundred is it worth doing that and then buying the stock back again or should you only do this if you have a loss of two, three, four thousand or more. Is there a set amount that's kind of recommended? And then again, is this just for long-term holding stocks of one year or longer? Or should you even do this for short-term held stocks? Maybe like for four, five, six, seven months or so? Just wondering more specific details on this sale rule to capture your losses for taxes thank you guys for your help. Look forward to hearing your answers on your podcast.
3: Well, it it doesn't matter whether it's long or short. um, And the size is all relative. $400 to one person might be small, and it might be large to another. And it's all relative to what gains you have uh, on on the books so far uh, that you've taken for the year, and how much tax you're willing to pay. Some people don't want to pay any tax they want to try to offset all of their gains and they're willing to wait 31 days to buy uh some positions the positions back now there's the risk that hey, 31 days later maybe the stock's up dramatically and that wipes out uh any savings in taxes that you might have if you're in a high tax bracket that's probably pretty low <laughs> you know you'd have to really rally but to happen but then also do you want to sell even more and, and get uh, a net loss and you can Right up to three thousand dollars a year on your taxes, if you have more, you know, uh, you have, you of complete net losses. So it's really up to you. Uh, you know, the way I think about it more is, are you thinking, are you on the fence of holding this name or not? Are you potentially going to sell it next year anyway. If you are, then maybe just take it, take it now instead of the new year. So the the size, just like anything, is relative. Like we'll say, oh, I have five thousand dollars invested in this company. Okay. Is that your all of your invested money? And therefore it's a hundred percent of your allocation of your portfolio? Or do you have a million dollars and five thousand dollars? It's a very small percentage. Everything is relative. It's relative to what you want to pay in taxes and what your tax rate is. So it's more of a weighing all, all the different factors and everyone's situation is a bit different. Let's go to Margaret in San Francisco. How are you doing, Margaret?
4: Hi. I wanted to know about ETFs. I heard that they are better than mutual fund except for the mineral one. And I don't know how to critique them or find out the best ones because I'm holding very, very old mutual funds and a lot of stocks that uh, many are stable, but they're not making me any money because I paid so much money back in 99.
1: Ah, Okay, the difference between ETFs and mutual funds, this is the basic difference. ETFs usually follows a slice of the market. It could follow the S&P 500. It can follow oil companies. It can follow any kind of slice of the market. But their ETFs market are not managed by a manager like a mutual fund is. They're dumb. They just follow an index. They follow an industry. You know, they don't trade and they just hold it. You have to know when to get in and out of that ETF. That's the main difference between an ETF and a mutual fund. Mutual fund is the manager. He's supposed to be picking stocks and selling them and do the right things. That's the difference. I like ETFs. They act like stocks. You can buy and sell them like stocks and you get instant diversification. But you still need to know what you're buying and when to get in, when to get out. Margaret, thanks for the call. Michael, Half Moon Bay. How you doing, Michael?
4: Okay, I don't know a whole lot about this subject. So okay. I think it's a pretty good question, though. I worked for a company. I invested in my stock. I bought it outright when I left the company. It's still a privately held company. It has not gone public. But it was just recently purchased by a, I guess the term is a blank check company that's huh. already public. Uh-huh. I don't know what that means for me and my stock. I got a, a letter saying that they were going to purchase my stock back from me. But I was kind of holding out till it goes to common stock, but I'm not sure if I'm capable. It doesn't sound like they're gonna let me do that.
1: No, since it's a private company, it's not a public company. You don't have much say. Okay. Uh, They're gonna buy all the stock. Question in your mind is what are you gonna buy it for? How much?
4: Well, they made an offer to me, but I'm like, I don't know that if I do have an opportunity to go back and say, no, I want to sell you it for this much and see Uh, what they say.
1: uh, If your stock has a voting power, do you know if it does? Voting? I don't
4: think I have enough for a voting power now. Yeah,
1: see, most of the voting power is probably held by the insiders, the people who. Exactly. Okay. And those guys are going to make the decision, you are not. Uh, you're going to have to follow on their coattails. Unfortunately, the option that would be left to you is filing suit as a, a minority shareholder. Right. That you feel that like you're getting a shaft, and the majority of shareholders are getting the benefits, and you're not. Right. That does happen, but it's extremely <laughs> expensive, and you don't want to go that way. It's a nice
4: little chunk, and I'm happy. But I had absolutely different plans for that yeah, money.
1: And so they messed it up for you.
4: <laughs> well, I mean, at least something happened with it. It's been a while. You know what I mean? So uh, yes. I, feel, I feel good about that. Now, what would you think about taking some of that money and buying it into the company that just bought?
1: If you feel that the fundamentals of the company, that, of the shares that you own, if you feel that's really going to benefit this new company and it's really going to accelerate this new public company's earnings, then yeah. That's a okay. good way to go. If it's so small, the company that you, stock that you own, if it's like 5% or 10% of the company that's buying it, then it will make no difference. You have to look at the company that's buying it to make sure that they're solid.
4: Right, right.
1: So okay. take a look at the relative size and what it really is going to do to their earnings. Okay. Well, good luck with it, Michael. Well, thank you very much. You were very helpful. I appreciate the time. Thank you for calling. Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, call it savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278.
5: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99Chart, 888 99Chart, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
1: Okay, let's see, moving along, swing back to Invest Talk Voice Bank, 888 99Chart. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Kevin calling from La
2: Crescenta, California again. I have a question regarding municipal bonds. I'm in California, and I'm in the, the highest tax bracket. I'm wondering if it's a good strategy to buy municipal bonds that have a high coupon rate, high yield to maturity, say over 5%, and then a coupon rate of like 6%, but then buy them over par so that you know I get the interest annually and don't pay taxes on it. And then at the maturity, I can end up with a loss, a capital gains loss that I can use to deduct against my my gains in the year that it, the bond matures. And these are pretty long dated bonds or they mature far out in the future. So I'm wondering if you think that's a good strategy for the next eight to 10 year kind of range. Uh, I look forward to hearing your answer on the show. Thanks again for all your help.
1: Well, you failed to mention the best part of them and they're double tax-free, state and federal tax-free, the interest that you do earn. So that's a good thing about uh, municipal bonds. Um, make sure the municipality is strong enough. If you have a long-term municipal bond, you want to make sure that they're strong enough. So make sure the ratings are pretty good on the on the on the uh, municipalities. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that strategy as part of your portfolio. I wouldn't make it my complete portfolio, no. But as part of the portfolio, if you're you know if you're in the highest tax bracket and you're trying to reduce your tax exposure, this would this would help doing that. By making having you have uh, income that you're not having to pay income tax on, but um, you sounded kind of young, so I, I think you're still probably in the asset gathering stage of your life. So you, you, this shouldn't be the, the whole thing. This would be more building an income portfolio for people retiring. If you're going to use your whole portfolio, so you can have a steady income um, as you you know as you live out your later life. So, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it for part of your strategy. I see nothing wrong with that strategy. Okay?
4: Hey, Steve or Justin. Thanks for taking my question. I am curious if switching my asset allocation during the current timing of the market right now would be a big mistake. What I'm talking about is inside my 401K, I currently have a target date fund, and the expense ratios are way higher than some of the funds I can pick on my own that will still diversify me as much as my target date fund. But I'm curious, if I made that switch when the market's in a correction, am I going to lose out? Or am I going to make that up on the funds that I would pick being lower cost, if that makes any sense? I love the show and can't wait to hear your answer on the
5: podcast. Thanks again.
1: Okay, target dated funds, those are the funds that have the date 2025, 2040, 2045 way out there it could be way out there, or they could be close. And you didn't tell me what year your target dated fund matures. If it's way out there, it's fully in the market and probably holds a bunch of indexes, index funds inside it. If it's really close, then it gets it moves as it gets closer to the retirement date, they buy more and more bonds. So if you wanted to be in the market your target date should be way out there and it, you will lose nothing or gain nothing necessarily by moving from that target date to individual funds, depending on the funds themselves and how they operate, what kind of funds you're going to buy. You won't lose not anything or gain anything just by making the switch. So I would prefer that you make a switch. I don't like target dated funds because I don't like the fact that they're kind of invisible what they're doing. And I don't like the fact that they automatically go to more bonds as the day gets closer because what if it's not a good time to be in the bonds? And I don't like bond funds. I like the individual bonds, but I don't like bond funds. So the reasons I don't like
7: it. Hello, Stephen Justin. This is Jay from Georgia. Quick question for you. You've invested into a stock you've researched. You like how it looks. You have no intention of selling it. It starts to drop. When would be a good time to buy more? I know after percent drop is not advantageous to do that. But is it 10 or 20%? Uh, look forward to listening to the answer.
3: Thank you. To me, it would be at support. So things are going well, it starts dropping, it starts pulling back, which is not atypical, right? Nothing goes straight up or straight down. You get pullbacks, consolidation periods, etc. And uh, I would use a chart, find moving averages, find previous breakout areas, like I've said before, uh, and if it retests those areas. Then that's when you would pick up more shares. So don't use a percentage. Every stock can be very different. Some stocks might move three percent in one day, and that could be a huge move for that particular stock. Think of you know big blue chip businesses. Others, ten percent in a day, are is normal because it's it's a volatile name and maybe a tech name, it may be a biotech, whatever that is. The volatility may be higher than normal. So I wouldn't use a, sp- a specific percentage, I would look at charting, moving averages, support areas, and that's where I would be adding to a position on pullbacks.
0: Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice. Or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security? Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.